Welcome to the special presentation of St. Gabriel Catholic Radio, Catechesis from the Cathedral. Join Father Adam Streitenberger on a tour of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. In this week's episode, Father Adam covers paragraphs 1066 to 1134, Why Do We Worship? Here's Father Streitenberger. Enjoy! Uh, Part one is entitled for everyone, um, unless they want to know the, the profession of faith, the profession of faith. The second part, which we're going to cover for the next couple weeks, I would say probably the next 11 weeks or so, deals with the sacraments. The third part deals with morality, particularly the Ten Commandments. And then the fourth part deals with prayer. So these are the four parts of the Catechism, the creed, the sacraments, morality, and prayer. There's also another structure based on the human person's relationship with God, or rather the human race's relationship with God, we might say. The first is that the human person seeks God. That search for God is not necessarily contained in the Catechism. There are a few paragraphs, I'd say about 50 paragraphs, which describe man's natural search for God. This seeking, in this seeking, God responds to man's search, to the human person's search, by revealing himself, revelation which corresponds to that first part, the creed. The third movement is, since God has reached out to us, since he's revealed himself to us, the human person responds. That response is, first of all, faith. Faith is our response to what God has done. The Catechism will define faith as, um, the, in many ways, probably about 15 different definitions of the word faith, all somewhat connected to this idea of responding to what God has done by submitting ourselves to God, surrendering ourselves to God. But that faith, that response happens in three ways. In our living of the sacraments, in our living of the moral life, and in our life of prayer. So the last three parts correspond to that response, our response of faith. Over the last couple weeks, we have gone through the creed, First, by going over the Father, and especially um, how God has revealed himself over the ages. We have looked at our profession of the Son. We believe in the Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
in going over who Jesus is, we also covered the events of Christ's life, the major events and the periods of Christ's life. So we take the the life of Christ and we split it really into four periods. The first is the incarnation. So all of those events surrounding the birth of Christ. So the Annunciation where the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, Mary's visitation, the Incarnation, the birth, the visit of the Magi, all these things. There's a period called the Hidden Years, which we know we don't quite know what Jesus was doing. We can imagine, but there were those times as he was growing up, his, he was maturing most of the first 30 years of his life. Then there is the public ministry, which begins, as we celebrate today, begins with his baptism in the Jordan. And then the final is what's called the Paschal Mystery. So from his entrance into Jerusalem, what we commemorate on Palm Sunday, to Pentecost. Paschal mystery. As I was going through this section of the catechism, which we'll cover today, which is really the the beginning, the intro section on the sacraments, we're told that this title of part two is the celebration of the Christian mystery, the celebration of the Christian mystery. This word mystery we might say, is the word of the day. It may even be the word of the next 11 weeks. Mystery. Now, the the word mystery has been defined for us by the catechism to describe the events of Christ's life. So when we talk about the rosary, we talk about the mysteries of the rosary. Those mysteries are events of Christ's life. This mystery. So, the events, what seems to be these activities of Jesus, point to a deeper reality, a reality that we can't see. That's, I think, how we might understand mystery in this section. A mystery is the deeper reality, the reality that's not first apparent behind something. So when we hear the stories of Jesus Christ, we can call them events, different happenings in the life of this man, but they're also mysteries. There's something infinite deeper, they point to something more. Why? Because Jesus is something more than a mere man. He is this divine person. Even his body points to something deeper, 
to a greater mystery, to his divine personhood. This is how the sacraments work then, is that there is something visible, both something done, something physical that is used, words that are said, that point to a deeper and invisible reality, a supernatural reality. It's why we use the word mystery not just to refer to the events of Christ's life, but also to refer to the sacraments themselves, that they are mysteries. And there is a connection between the use of our word mystery for the events of Christ's life and our use of the word mystery for the sacraments. Because the sacraments make present the mysteries of Christ's life. Especially the Paschal mystery, which is why we, you know, we don't call it the incarnation mystery or the hidden mystery or the public mystery, but we do call it the Paschal mystery. Because that is, in a sense, the most epic of what happens in Christ's life, the Paschal Mysteries. To give a general outline, then, of what we're going to do, um, this week what we're going to cover is really the need for the sacraments and what they point to. If I'm not mistaken, I think we go to paragraph 11 11.34 tonight. We're going to try to do, go to a 10.66 to 11.34. This section deals with sort of the basic idea behind the sacraments and this word which we will define called liturgy. liturgy. We entitled this Why We Worship, and I think that answer hopefully is answered as that question is answered as we, um, as we wrestle with these themes. In the next section, so next week, we're going to go through how we worship or how this, what this liturgy entails. And then we're going to go through each of the sacraments. Now, unfortunately, I did not print off um, additional copies of the list, the calendar, but I will do that for next week. Um, We will have a few breaks here or there for various reasons. Um, And, of course, you know, if it's a snow emergency, um, you don't have to drive in, you know, if it's level three or level two. As you might know, these are recorded, and um, St. Gabriel's Radio both um, archives it, and then they also play it um, Wednesdays at 4 o'clock. So if you always want to repeat, you know, to go over what I've said again, you can find it there. There might be something that you thought that you heard me say that I didn't say, so... So just in case. 
So let us dive in. So we begin, why the liturgy? Why the liturgy? Um, The Father accomplishes the mystery of his will by giving his beloved Son and his Holy Spirit for the salvation of the world. He has wisely ordered this plan, a plan of mystery. Um, We refer sometimes also to this as the economy of salvation. So the Lord's work, what we call the quote-unquote objective redemption, so the work that Jesus Christ has done for us in order to save us, is part of the plan of God's mystery. He is unfolding this. As I said earlier, the events of Christ's life, the happenings of Christ's life, we see them from a human perspective, although we're 2,000 years away, but they point to something more. So, you know, imagine the example of, you know, we see the stations of the cross. You know, imagine yourself in Jerusalem as this is unfolding in time. You see a criminal carrying a cross down the street. He seems to have um, a great um, endurance and strength about him. There are these random people who are stopping by him. Um, He might even seem to have a certain earnestness to accomplish this task. But we nonetheless see something human happening. But unless we have this gift of faith, we are unable to see that actually the work of our salvation is being accomplished as this is unfolding. An important point for this reason, for it was from the side of Christ as he slept the sleep of death upon the cross that there came forth the wondrous sacrament of the whole church. For this reason, the church celebrates in the liturgy, above all, the paschal mystery by which which Christ accomplished the work of our salvation. The sacraments exist. The sacraments exist, above all, so that the paschal mystery of Christ may continue to be present in the world and that we might um, subjectively accept and receive for our own selves what Christ has done by this mystery, the mystery of his passion, death, and resurrection. So the Catechism tells us it is the mystery of Christ that the Church proclaims in the liturgy. So the simple answer of why we worship, why we go to Mass, why we receive the sacraments, is to be drawn into the mystery of Christ, the mis- and most especially his Paschal mystery, to be made present as he saves us, and to receive this, this great gift.
The Catechism defines for us what the word liturgy means. So in the first paragraph there, so to be drawn into the Paschal Mystery is the reason why we worship. It's the reason why we have a liturgy. It's the reason why we have the sacraments. What does the word liturgy mean? The word liturgy originally meant a public work or a service in the name of or on behalf of the people. However, it began in the Christian tradition to mean the participation of the whole church, the people of God, in the work of God. So, there's two directions with the liturgy. It's a public work in the name of and on behalf of. So, on the one hand, it is the work of God. Because it is making present the paschal mysteries of Jesus Christ, the work of our redemption, which we know is the work of God that only God can accomplish. The liturgy is the work of God on our behalf, for us. But it's also our work, and in some sense a work which we do, in the name of God and, on, and for God. So it's, it's this sort of almost uh, two-directional. It's God's work, but we are able to participate in it as God's people. In the New Testament, this word liturgy refers to divine worship, but also to the proclamation of the gospel and to active charity. It is a reminder that the proclamation of the gospel and charity are always connected to the liturgy, to worship. In a sense, it's, as the catechism points out, that at our baptism, we are consecrated as priests, prophets, and kings. We worship we proclaim the good news, and we serve. And so this, this in some sense, um, our service and our proclamation of the word flow also from our worship. And indeed, the Catechism says in the next couple of paragraphs that it is... Um, Liturgy, the liturgy is the source of our life. And that as such, you know, as we draw our life from it, um, we have to engage it with this conscious, active, and fruitful participation. Conscious, active, and fruitful um, participation. That active, which we use in Greek, is from the Latin actuosa, actuosa, which means actual, actual. So a full, complete participation of ourself. A paragraph particularly interesting to me, I guess, is that the liturgy does not exhaust the entire activity of the church. 
There is a temptation and a danger, I think, for all of us to just see our active participation at the Mass and in the sacraments as the completeness of our activity in the Church or as disciples of Christ. That as long as I'm going to Mass, as long as I'm receiving the sacraments regularly, then I am fulfilling what it means to be Catholic, to be Christian. But really, the liturgy is the, the apex of our Christian life. There is a lot that leads up to it that has to be done beforehand, and there's a lot that flows from it. So we're reminded that evangelization, the submission of faith, the response of faith, our conversion, continual conversion, are necessary for the Christian life, and they lead up to the liturgy. We can't really fully participate without these things. And that the liturgy leads us on to something more. Involvement in the mission of the church, a service of unity, and a new life in the Spirit. So there is, I think, a danger of of what we might call minimalism. We might even call it a sense of legalism, that everything is reduced to the liturgy, that that's all we need to do. As long as we're going to Mass, it's it's all accomplished. Similar to this, this might be very controversial to say this, but there is a sense that um, in some that um, our Catholic faith becomes an obsession about the liturgy. You know, how that priest says Mass. You know. It is true that the liturgy is the most important thing that we do. But it is not the only thing that we do, and it, does, it should not consume us. It should actually enable us to live the Christian life. Then the Catechism talks about this proper catechesis. We need a proper catechesis to understand what's going on. A particular catechesis called liturgical catechesis, helps us to recognize the mystery of Christ in the liturgy. In these visible things, these signs and gestures and material things, to recognize the invisible reality. We use two words, sacrament and mystery. The sacrament often refers to the outward sign, what we see, what we hear, what we smell, what we feel, what we say, the mystery, the reality that's really there. It's interesting when we, I think when we think about this, um, so often, and it's because as I was growing up, um, to kind of go on a little tangent. Um, as I was growing up, some might say I'm still growing up, but as, uh, aren't, and aren't we all, um, the, um, it was 
it was not it was very very common um, for tabernacles to be removed from churches and put in some sort of side chapel or broom closet or something like that and um, this was becoming more and more common and um, you know adoration was rather infrequent at that time um, and you know I knew priests who really did not believe in the real presence now now part of this inspired my own um, discernment of my vocation so you know, from evil the Lord brings good. Um, in the life of the church, we and you know, just uh, months ago, I was asked to comment about this. You know, the Pew Foundation put out another study saying that um, a horrible majority of Catholics don't believe in the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, that it is actually his body and blood, soul and divinity. And so when we think about the outward sign and the invisible sign, you know, what's really there versus what we see, that's the thing that we talk about the most or worry about the most. And it is true, as we're going to hear in the Catechism, that the Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian life and that Christ is substantially present. He is in, in the most fullest way present in the Eucharist. He is really present in the Eucharist. It is his body and blood, soul, and divinity. Um, and that is something that we have to keep reminding people about in our catechesis, in our preaching, in our conversations, in our devotional life, in our worship. But we forget also that throughout the Mass, in all these visible things that we're seeing, we're being transported or make, made present to even more wonder, I mean, just as wonderful mysteries in the sense that, you know, we are present at Christ as Christ dies for us on the cross at every Mass. Um, or that, that, you know, we are elevated to heaven itself at every Mass. Um, or that in some ways, you know, as we celebrate the baptism of the Lord, we are mysteriously present on the shore of the Jordan as John pours water over Jesus and as the Father says what he says and the Holy Spirit comes down upon him. And those, we don't even, we, we don't even touch, in most cases, the depth of that mystery that we're present at. Um, you know, and if we just spent, you know, we could just spend so much time meditating on what we're present at what's going on that we can't immediately see. Um, not just what it means when the priest does this to his forehead and to his lips and to his heart. That has a meaning, but there's a, there's a whole deeper reality um, that, that we don't even make a dent into, I think, in our, you know, in our use of the sacraments and our engagement in the liturgy. So hopefully I think our time... In, in, in reflecting and studying on these things is going to open us up to see that there really is a deeper, even, you know, even more wonderful than we could imagine. So this distinction between sacrament and mystery, they're the same words for the same reality. It's just sacrament kind of points to what's going on, the outward sign, 
the mystery points to the, 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 the reality that's there. We then switch to 1076. We're reminded that the liturgy, you know, we've said that it, re- it requires our engagement, our active engagement, an understanding of what's going on, a seeing of the visible, an understanding of the invisible. But we're also reminded that the liturgy is the work of the Holy Trinity, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are primarily at work in the Trinity. And so this section really kind of goes through this. I think we can kind of, you know, we talked about this with um, the Trinity. It's called the, um, let me, um, you know, where we, the, oh, crap. Um, my, um, I didn't have it written down, and of course it escapes my mind when I need it. It'll hit me. It'll hit me in a few seconds. But, you know, we attribute to the Father that He is the Creator. We attribute to the Son that He is the Redeemer. We attribute to the Holy Spirit that He is the Sanctifier. The, the Spirit um, seems to be the primary agent of us growing in grace and holiness and in the life of the Church and in the sacraments. That Christ... The Son is the primary person at work in dying for us, in rising from the dead. The Father seems to be the primary person from which everything else comes. But we know that the work of creation is the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We know that the work of our redemption is the work of of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We know that our sanctification in the life of the Church, the liturgy, is the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Catechism seems to me in these sections identifies a special part or work of the liturgy which, with each of the persons, but with the same principle in mind, the same principle of mind, um, that we can attribute this certain work to the Father, attribute this certain work to the Son, attribute this certain work to the Holy Spirit, but always keeping in mind that all three of them are doing that particular work. Um, And the the same thing, it seems to me, um, is being applied here. So the first, kind of the work that's associated with um, the Father, is the work of blessing the work of blessing. Blessing is a divine and life-giving action, the source of which is the Father. His blessing is both word and gift. When applied to man, the word blessing means adoration, surrender to his creator in thanksgiving. So this is interesting. I had a conversation with a priest a number of years ago, and he was very rattled and upset because he was at some event and um, they said, you know, well, we want to bless the Lord for all that he's done. And this priest was addled by this because he was like, how can we bless the Lord? You know, well, the catechism does say that we can, in a sense, bless the Lord if we understand what blessing, what bless means in that context. In the context of God, a blessing is a life-giving action. 
um, you know, he renews us. He gives us life. In our sense, when we might use the word that, you know, we bless the Lord, there's this, this famous canticle from Daniel. Um, if you do the Liturgy of the Hours, it's on morning prayers um, for Sundays, usually. And it's, it goes like, you know, sun and moon bless the Lord, stars of heaven bless the Lord, ice and snow bless the Lord, rain and dew bless the Lord, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael bless the Lord. You know, it goes through all this. There is a sense where we bless the Lord by our adoration and our surrendering to him in thanksgiving. In that sense, then, all of the liturgy is a blessing. All of it is a blessing. So the Father gives us life. We give him thanksgiving. The Catechism then goes on to describe blessings um, throughout both the Old Testament and the New Testament. The, um, this idea then of, um, of, of two bless, of this two, uh, two, two-sided blessings in the sense of, of, of the, the Lord giving us life and in exchange we give him thanksgiving, it really is, um, I think, what we see in Christ's own life, you know, both his divine nature, that in, invisible Reality that we don't necessarily see is giving blessing and his human nature is giving thanks to the Father. Um, so we see that interaction then. And that's really, you know, the liturgy is our share in that relationship of receiving this life-giving blessing from the Father and giving thanksgiving for this. The Catechism then goes to, so what role does the Son have in the liturgy? Now I might add that that last part on Christ kind of as the center of both um, giving blessing and, um, you know, the human nature giving blessing of thanksgiving reminds us that Blessing is an action of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why we say, uh, may Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, lest we think that the blessing is just from the Father. So the role, the role of the Son, first of all, we get a, finally a definition of the sacraments. You might be wondering, well, what's the definition of the sacrament that the cap catechism is using. In paragraph 1084, the sacraments are perceptible signs, words and actions, accessible to our human nature by the action of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. They make present efficaciously the grace that they signify. Now, I've been harping on the mysteries um, both Christ's presence and, and, and those events that of his life made present. But we also want to hit upon 
something just important that is made present that's invisible, and that is the great, the graces of the sacraments. When we go through all of the sacraments, we'll talk about the particular graces associated with each of the sacraments. Now, you may recall from um, the Baltimore Catechisms, which was based on the Council of Trent, which this catechism replaced, or um, that the definition of a sacrament is an outward sign instituted by, by Christ to give grace, an outward sign instituted by Christ to give grace. The catechism definition here is the same, lest we think Vatican II came up with a new definition of sacraments. Perceptible signs, outward signs, by the action of Christ, instituted by Christ, they make present efficaciously the grace that they signify. To bestow grace. So what is the role that is most associated with Christ? Well, that is making present the invisible. We've just come out of our celebration of Christmas where the invisible divine person has become visible in his human nature, born of the Virgin Mary. We are reminded that in the liturgy, the invisible, the divine, is made visible and present. The mystery becomes present. His paschal mystery is a real event that occurred in our history, but it is unique. All other historical events happen once, and then they pass away, swallowed up in the past. The paschal mystery of Christ, by contrast, cannot remain only in the past because, of his, because by his death he destroyed death. And all that Christ is, all that he did and suffered for all men, participates in the divine eternity and so transcends all times while being made present in them all. The event of the cross and resurrection abides and draws everything toward life. Now that's that paragraph, paragraph 1085, 1085, is worth, I mean, you could just sit, you could do a holy hour on that paragraph. Just meditate on that paragraph. But basically what it's telling us is, you know, the events of Christ's life, especially his paschal mysteries, his death and resurrection, ascension, they're not just normal human events that pass away or something that we remember in the past. They are something more. One, they're something more because they participate in the divine eternity because they're, they're events that a divine person has gone through, but also it's because all of our life is drawn from that. You know, we aren't uh, made present at the cross and the resurrection because we're some sort of um, tourists that want to go back and, you know, take a, take a picture as he's jabbed in the side. Our life comes from that, what happened on the cross. Our life happens from what happened in that tomb. To be there, I mean, we're drawn there. We can't help but 
to keep going there. It keeps us alive. And so, the liturgy is important, not just because of this, bless, this exchange of blessing and thanksgiving. It is important because the source of our life, Jesus Christ and his Paschal mysteries, are made present. This has been the point ever since for the church. The church has received this role of handing on these mysteries, making these mysteries present in the world through the sacraments. But Jesus Christ also willed that the work of salvation, which they preached, which the apostles preached, should be set in train through the sacrifice and sacraments around which the entire liturgical life revolves. The sacraments were instituted by Christ, and the church, the apostles, in their preaching talk about them and establish them throughout the world. so that he might remain present in the world. Also, um, Christ is, is present in this earthly liturgy that we still participate in. To accomplish so great a work, the dispensation or communication of his work of salvation, Christ is present in the sacrifice of the Mass, not only in the person of his minister, the same now offering through the ministry of priests who formerly offered himself on the cross, but especially in the Eucharistic species. So Christ is present in the offering of himself, in his sacrifice of the Mass, where he offers himself on the cross in that one sacrifice, and also present in the Eucharistic species. The Catechism also tells us that he is present whenever the scriptures are read. We hear his voice. And he is present also in the life of the church. But we especially note in this paragraph that it's especially in the Eucharistic species. The, um, the document from the Second Vatican Council, um, Sacrosanctum Concilium, will say that it's um, he is most fully, he is maxime present in the Eucharistic species. 1090, we're also reminded that the liturgy is not just the making present of Christ as he sacrifices himself on the cross and making himself present in the Eucharistic species, but also part of this invisible reality is the presence of heaven itself. Christ, because he's present in the liturgy, draws heaven around us, or we're drawn into heaven, however you want to see it. What's the role of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the teacher of the faith of the people of God, an artisan of God's masterpieces, the sacraments of the new covenant. When the Spirit encounters in us the response of faith, which he has aroused in us, he brings about genuine cooperation. Through it, the liturgy becomes the common work 
of the Holy Spirit of the, of the church. So the Holy Spirit really helps us to participate in the liturgy. So the Father, we attribute to him the blessing, both this exchange. The Son, we attribute to him the being present, the presence, the invisible presence, invisible forms. The Holy Spirit really enables us to participate. And he does so in several different ways. First of all, the Holy Spirit prepares us to receive Christ in the sacraments, in the liturgy. Or as the Catechism says in 1092, using the word of the year, encounter, prepares the church to encounter her Lord. The Holy Spirit has done this as You recall going through the creed, the Holy Spirit has spoken through the prophets. The Holy Spirit has spoken through the Old Testament to prepare us for the sacraments. In all of the sacraments and in the liturgy, we see how the Old Testament points to the New Testament. You see the word bread in the Old Testament, it's saying something about the Eucharist. You see the word water in the Old Testament, it's saying something about baptism. You hear oil in the Old Testament, it's saying something about one of the sacraments that has oil in it. There is this typology. There are the types and figures The Lord prepared us for the sacraments in the Old Testament. When we go through the sacraments, the catechism will point to the different types in the Old Testament that point to the sacraments. So the Old Testament liturgy points to the New Testament liturgy. It prepares us for it. We can also say that the Holy Spirit prepares us spiritually through our own conversion, our own evangelization, having been evangelized, to receive the sacraments. The Holy Spirit disposes us to be open to receiving the sacraments. Number two, the Holy Spirit helps recall the mystery of Christ. The Spirit and the Church cooperate to manifest Christ and his work of salvation in the liturgy. Remember this point which I hit upon several times is the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ have this joint mission. They work together for the same purpose. With the coming of Pentecost, Christ's mission is transferred to the Church, but the Holy Spirit keeps working with them. And the Holy Spirit and the Church have this joint mission. They cooperate to manifest Christ, we're told here, to manifest Christ and and his work of salvation. This recalling, then, of the mystery of Christ, we use the word memorial, the Eucharist especially, but in some ways all of the sacraments are a memorial of the mystery of salvation. The Holy Spirit is the church's living mystery, living memory, excuse me. By memorial, we mean not a recollection of the past. We use the word recall, not in the, in the sense of 
recollecting something from the past, but in a recall in its more literal sense as in we're calling back, it is coming back. The Holy Spirit helps us in this recall, this coming back, also as he speaks to us through the word of God. And he does so especially in, in the liturgy when we hear the word, of the God, word of God proclaimed. The Holy Spirit helps us in this recall of Christ's mystery and participating in Christ's mystery through our response of faith, that we recognize what's going on and we surrender ourselves. And also, in another special way, the Holy Spirit helps us to recall anamnesis, this this fancy word, anamnesis, paragraph 1103. The liturgical celebration always refers to God's saving interventions in history. Part of the Mass, if you remember the Eucharistic prayer, And after these um, sessions, you should listen attentively to the Eucharistic prayer. You know, there's four of them. The first one is the really long one with names. The second one is the really short one. The third one is the medium-sized one, um, where the priest gets to add his favorite saint to. And then the fourth one no one really uses. Um, And there's some problems with it, but not... Not, not doctrinal problems, but you can only use it in certain situations. That's why most priests don't use it. Um, but in the Eucharistic prayers, of course, there's the words of institution, which we're always somewhat familiar with, but we'll cover those, of course, when we, when we go over the Eucharist. But the anamnesis is the part of the Eucharistic prayer that goes through remembering what he's done to save us. It usually happens right after the, um, the consecration, the words of consecration. So we remember that by his passion and death and resurrection, his glorious ascension into heaven, da 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 da, da. So that's an a- the anamnesis. It's crucial because it's necessary, um, it's a necessary part of the Eucharistic prayer because it is a statement, a reminder that Christ is making these mysteries present. Next, the Holy Spirit also, so the Holy Spirit prepares us, the Holy Spirit recalls, calls back the mysteries of Christ. The Holy Spirit makes present the mystery of Christ. Christian liturgy not only recalls the events, we remember them, that saved us, but actualizes them, makes them present. The Paschal mystery of Christ is celebrated, not repeated. It is the celebrations that are repeated. And each celebration, there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that makes the unique mystery present. So we recall, um, we call back, we remember what has happened, But then also the Holy Spirit makes it present. There's a particular action that is is present in all of the sacraments, but most distinguished um, in the Eucharist, and it's called epiclesis, epiclesis. This is paragraph 1105. 
Epiclesis means invocation upon. It's the intercession of the Holy Spirit where the priest begs the Father to send the Holy Spirit to make present Christ, to transform, to transubstantiate the bread and the wine into the very body and blood of Jesus Christ, and to make present the mysteries of Christ, the Paschal mystery. The, the telltale sign in the Eucharistic prayer that the priest is doing that is he puts his hands together like that, you know, sort of, um, and calls down the Holy Spirit upon the gifts. So the epiclesis is usually before the words of consecration. Epiclesis, words of consecration, and amnesis, the three most important parts of the Eucharistic prayer. The Holy Spirit also enables a certain communion. We have a communion with him and with each other by the power of the Holy Spirit. We move now to um, this last section. I didn't put my buzzer on. That'll wake you all up. Woke me up. Um, This last section, which will probably continue um, next week, but what it does is it gives us five titles for the sacraments, for the sacramental system, we might call it, the Paschal Mystery and the Church's sacraments. They give us a different dimension, a different facet, we might say, of the seven sacraments, The first is we refer to them as the sacraments of Christ. Second, the sacraments of the church. The third, the sacraments of faith. Fourth, the sacraments of salvation. Um, We call them these, these four names. The sacraments of salvation, the sacraments of faith, the sacraments of the church, and the sacraments of Christ. So we refer to them as the sacraments of Christ, clearly and obviously, because Christ has instituted them. All of them are instituted by Jesus Christ, our Lord. But we also refer to them as sacraments of Christ because he is the primary agent. He's the one that's active. He's the one that's sacrificing himself. He's the one who's making himself present. And it is by his power that the sacraments happen. We call the sacraments the sacraments of the church because they have been handed on by Christ to the church. The sacraments are, in 1118, the sacraments are of the church in the double sense that they are by her and for her, by her and for her. The sacraments are Christ's actions, at work in and through the mission of the Holy Spirit. But it is by means, it is through the church that Christ works in the sacraments. And they are for the church in the sense that the sacraments make the church. The church and Christ function, act as if one mystical person in the work of the sacraments. And there are, of course, ordained ministers who serve the baptismal priesthood. 
So there is this twofold priesthood already kind of set up in the catechism. The ministerial priesthood and the baptismal priesthood. The ordained priesthood guarantees that it is really Christ who acts in the sacraments through the Holy Spirit for the church. So the idea that Christ designates certain men to function in this role is a reminder that it is not the church that makes the sacraments. So these, these men have received a vocation, a call. He designates them. But the church also recognizes them through liturgical action, ordains them. Um, but the idea is here that it is an indication that it is Christ who really acts. As opposed to, say, the congregation or the church that just makes, the assembly just makes Christ present. or makes the sacrament. It is rather Christ who makes the sacrament. Paragraph 1120, the ordained ministry or ministerial priesthood is at the service, as I said, the saving mission entrusted by the Father to his incarnate Son was committed to the apostles and through them to their successors. They received the Spirit of Jesus to act in his name and in his person. The ordained minister is the sacramental bond that ties the liturgical action to what the apostles said and did, and through them to the words and actions of Christ. So in a sense, then, this this sacramental priesthood is the means by which, first of all, the sacraments are preserved, the sacraments which have been instituted by Christ— But also, because they have been set aside, because they have been ordained for this task, it points to the fact that it is Christ who is the one at work in the sacraments, as opposed to the church who makes them effective. Moreover, um, to end this section and to end today, We refer to the sacraments as the sacraments of the church, especially because through baptism and confirmation and the Eucharist, we are initiated, incorporated into the life of the church. And then with baptism and confirmation and holy orders, we are marked, we are sealed, by which the Christian shares in Christ's priesthood and is made a member of the church according to different states and functions. So it is through the sacraments that we are made members of the church and that we receive really our, our vocation in the building up of the life of the church. This is listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio. You've been listening to Catechesis from the Cathedral with Father Adam Streitenberger. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, download it or share it with a friend, please visit stgabrielradio.com, go to our audio archives and look for Catechesis from the Cathedral. Thanks so much for joining us today. God bless and have a great day.